And you've just tuned in to the Northern Rivers Music Box with Ange and it's after three o'clock. And Billy Otto, he was born in Newcastle in New South Wales and he grew up driving Commodores and playing football, as you do in that part of the region. But he's now based in Byron Bay and Billy is a singer-songwriter, producer, mental health advocate, surfer, environmental activist as well. And... Billy Otto said no to being one of the cast for the Netflix reality TV show Byron Bays. He says he's not up for sale. Hey, Billy, not up for sale. Otto, how are you right now? Not up for sale. <laughs> Love that one line. I don't know where that came from. <laughs> oh, gosh, that's when I did a little bit of research. <laughs> <It was> from, <laughs> apparently, I love the media. You quoted that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Got all dramatic. <laughs> it is. Um, and I'm doing super well. I'm just sitting on this paddock. I live in the beautiful Myokum with my partner Sylvie. And um, we just spend our days in the sun making music, listening to native birds. Chirp, chirp. Yeah, it's just it's just a great time to be alive. Oh, it's what a the havoc of the world. Yeah, beautiful way to um, spend your lockdown in positivity. I'm loving that. Good for you. <laughs> All right, so Billy, you grew up in Newcastle, which, um, let's face it, was home of mining, rugby league and Silverchair. Silverchair, my favourite all-time band. Okay. Literally, when anyone says, dude, it's got a real Jan- Daniel Johns vibe, your voice and this track, I'm just like so chuffed. <laughs> Tipping the yeah, hat to Daniel like Johns. God. <laughs> yeah, I grew up in, in Newey and it was just, it was it was a blessing and a curse, more of a blessing than a curse, but it's just like any any mining town, any rugby league town, um, especially like years ago, like 20 years ago when, you know, growing up in a very kind of toxic environment, like, you know, everyone just has their different understandings of what it means to be a man. And I felt really pressured into to drinking, into treating women a certain way. And, you know, when I was struggling with mental health from the age of like 12, I just never knew who I could talk to, not even my family, because there's just so much shame and stigma around male vulnerability. Absolutely, um, and I can say that would be very huge. And from a female, we grew up with a very different version because we felt very sort of subservient and subordinate to that male toxic energy that was very much yeah. emasculating us and it was yeah, second best. Yes. <laughs> yeah, for sure. And you see it mirrored from your own family unit, the way that like my mum was treated my, by my dad growing up and, and her just feeling so defenseless and not knowing how I could step into us, st- you know, like things like that in my home. And it was so confusing for us kids. Um, and I think for me, it's just been a huge curriculum now as a man stepping up in my own sacred masculine. It's always kind of like, wow, I can't believe like the, the alarm bells were all there when I was a kid, but I just didn't know, didn't have the clarity and the consciousness to really put language to it and to really, you know, pull it apart and deconstruct and learn from it. And it kind of just echoed in my my life for like quite a a little time, my teens and my early 20s. But it's been a a really incredible journey, just kind of deconstructing and and rebirthing again. And like I'm 33, but I honestly feel just younger than ever and more balanced and more in my truth. And and I think when you do have a, a deeper awareness of yourself, it's just so much easier to create music and things that I do as a music producer and as as an artist. I'm just 
just just overflowing with 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 music that's coming from a really pure space. But come, growing up in this masculine um, environment of Newcastle, what drew you to music? Was there a pull towards art and writing? Yeah, I was really lucky growing up in Newey, like in the nineties and early two thousands, because it was really known as like a huge gritty kind of art city, um, and amidst all the weird. Um, like big fossil fuels and Newcastle Knights rugby league kind of culture, like and you know, like everyone was buying Commodores and Hiluxes, but we were still all playing in like garage rock bands. And so, <laughs> I, I think it was just it was really cool because you know, um, I I went to a school called Warners Bay High, and I had a really big creative arts focus and music, art, drama was was really popular to kind of be part of and to be part of like musical programs and production was like a bit of a thing and so i just had a whole group of friends that were really into making music and i was joining little bands i joined a band i got signed when i was 15 i was traveling from a really young age yeah i was kind of weirdly nurtured to kind of chase a creative path even though it wouldn't seem that way being like a big coal mining town so yeah Silverchair was a massive part of that the Screaming Jets were a massive part of that said you you started creating music and signed at 15 is pretty impressive did you actually ever think though at that stage as a teenager when you're dibbling in the music scene that you actually would become a professional musician or turn it into a living was that an option in your yeah to be honest like I I totally thought um I'm great at this I'm gonna like I'm gonna become like the bass player for Britney Spears or something I literally thought I was gonna be like a session bass player and playing like the biggest stadiums as a bass player. That was kind of like what I thought as a young kid and I was studying jazz from a really young age and I was excelling. I was playing with people that were older than me. I was asked to join different jazz bands and rock bands a lot. But um, I think what kind of stunted me, like after being in leadership with music and all these different opportunities was um, I, I got really religious at like the age of 19, like deeply religious. And I kind of threw all my music away for a few years because I thought it was satanic. Mm. Well, yeah. So that was the turn that I took because I had all this confidence. But then a lot of that was kind of sequestered through the Bible, which is, it's a, it's a really wacky story and I have no shame about it, but it's just, I guess, a beautiful part of learning you know so um, what de- denomination were you involved with i was i was a seventh day adventist christian uh-huh yes yeah and so it's kind of like somewhere between like southern baptist and jehovah's witness <laughs> you know it's kind of like some day adventist like in the rubric is kind of like you as a church movement kind of think that you're the only people that have the full truth and so you're trying to proselytize trying to be a missionary and save other people mm-hmm. even other christians are trying to make them seventh day adventist so that they can know the true gospel and I got really into that. I just I have a pretty like addictive, kind of committed personality when I'm really 
feeling that like something is right, I just kind of go really hard at it. Well, you went so uh, hard, you also got a Bachelor of Theology and became a pastor. So you're definitely <laughs> one to go to those extremes. Um, did, yeah. did you find studying religion at, at, at the age of 19? 19 is such a malleable age for a man, young man. Yeah, totally. Did it change your view of the world? I mean, obviously music was satanic. Was there other views that got changed? Yeah, um, I just didn't, because I always had a really deep interest for, like, First Nations history when I was, uh, like, a young kid, in Indigenous Australian history, Aboriginality, and um, Native American history, and, and, and First Nations histories of Papua New Guinea and Africa. And, but, for example, like, because of my very colonial understanding of the Bible and faith in God, all of that kind of interest and learning from First Nations was kind of taken away because they they were speaking of a, of a wrong spirit and I had to try and change, you know, Native people's understandings of their own culture so they could become more like me. And I would literally go into Aboriginal, like, outback towns and run on these programs and try to convert people to what I believed. And, and so I think that, like, I was so malleable – um, and I was taught by different mentors, and I think I just – I completely thought that I had the truth on everything. I, I thought that I was absolutely correct and that anyone else had to kind of learn from me or me learn from someone who knew more about the Bible in this way than I did. And so – A very righteous world by the sounds of it. Yeah, yeah, holy than uh, now, like yeah. quite elitist. Yeah. And so I was very judgy, and, and it's hard to create in a place. Like I'd still play some music and some hymns and some – songs from Hillsong or, or something, but I still wasn't able to really access deeply that artistic kind of spirit because I was kind of scared of it. Like, you know, I didn't want to dance anymore because, you know, that was a bit evil. And, you know, I was just, I was so radically like Ned Flanders for a couple of years and lost friends. And, <laughs> well, when, know, how old um, were you when you finally, when, when you got out of it and just said, this is, yeah. this is not where I want to be? Um, yeah, I was in it for like a few years, but I started to get kind of more liberal, a bit more progressive and a bit more relaxed about it, probably by the age of like 23. But I kind of like became a minister in America when I was like 25, 26. And then it was just from that point that I was just like, this path and this world and this community isn't for me anymore. And I felt like I kind of graduated from it. Not in like a self-righteous way, but just kind of like, I wanted to ask more questions and I wanted to come back to that childlike curiosity that I had when I was like five where the world was just wonder and I could I could learn things and I could look at colors and look at a sunset and just be in awe and I just wanted to go back to simplicity and so you know that, is, and that, so, is that how you would define your faith now it's more back to nature back into the moment more simplistic yeah. in appreciation without without the the dogma which religion is exactly very good I at think, I think the tenets of all these big religions are kind of all pointing at the same thing and it's love. And I just think that ego and control is kind of sabotage what was pure. And so for me, like I deeply believe in the power of love and a, a consciousness that is holding the universe together. I definitely come to it as, as a child. And even Jesus says, if you want to see the kingdom of heaven, you become like a, a child, you know? And so I think I just kind of like, yeah, I just, I really believe in, in love and um, and that I am nature, that I'm not above nature or dominating nature, that I'm part of it. Hallelujah. And <laughs> yeah, and that like has radically changed the way that I see yeah. climate change and 
and deforestation and our damage to the reef and all these things are deep to my heart because I don't anymore believe that God's just trying to take me from here to go to heaven. Like I think that this is big, my big, home and this is my heaven. And that. Yeah. Yeah. So it's yeah. definitely made me so much more present with seeing like Godness and like everyone that I meet and it giving me dignity, giving others dignity. And, and so being able to write from that place is so much easier because I'm in a constant place of wonder and discovery and, well, let's yeah. talk. Let's talk about your music. You released your debut album, Floating Now, in 2013, and then your Born EP in 20, 2018. I've been listening to a, your more recent work since you've moved to Byron, and to yeah. me, your sound has changed. There's more layers <laughs> or production or maturity. How has living in Byron affected your creativity? Oh wow! Thanks so much for Ange. I think it's just I've just kind of lost a bit of the fearlessness of like. I think when I started playing music again and becoming a singer-songwriter and touring the world, I kind of was like, well, I'm going to be a folk artist because folk is cool and it's simple and I can just bring my acoustic guitar. But the more that I started to get into production and producing my own music, the more that I realized that there's just like layers. I just, it's like a palette, like looking at a canvas. It's like, I just realized that I could build things and I am a multi-instrumentalist. So in my mind, I'm like, I want to go the whole spectrum of the rainbow, like, and I I don't want to just try to pigeon my whole, pigeonhole myself in one genre because I just I just wanted to experiment, and so because I love Radiohead, I love the Beatles, I love progressive rock, I love disco, and so I was just able to kind of think to myself like, I'm going to be intuitive about this, and then. Just see what happens, let the, the magic kind of lead. So, yeah, being in Byron and really getting involved in the production stuff, I've just had so much more fun, just kind of like, especially building from the 60s and 70s. Like, I'm a huge John Lennon and George Harrison fan. Um, but you've also. <laughs> massive David yeah, Bowie fan. But you've also been collaborating here um, with the likes of Banky. Yeah. I love the stuff you're doing with Banky and yeah. with Kyle Leinhart, as we mentioned before, and um, yeah. Dougie Mandaggy, Dougie of yeah. Temper Trap. And we're going to play. Yeah. We're going to go to your song, Lady. What do you look for first in collaborations? Um, just um, family, bromance, <laughs> um, sibling, vibes with girls that I really admire it's just I feel like it always comes down to firstly like it's a good soul connection and um and then good music comes from that like I just love frothing out with good humans that love music and are just making art for the sake of art um and Kyle and I for example with our cover of the Cranberries we kind of just stumbled upon that after playing a festival together Dougie Mundugi was stuck in Australia with COVID stuff and we just became really good mates over the summer and we were surfing every day. I was just like, dude, I need you in the studio for this thing. And, and it just kind of happened. And I kind of love that it's not regimented. We're not going through a million managers or labels. It's like, it's friends loving friends oh. and just getting, getting in the sandpit together and having some fun. <laughs> Cause you're big, cause you're big, cause you're big, my lady 
last 18 months, I believe, you've started a podcast, The Beginning of Us, where you pull apart, rebirth, rechild your guests. And I listened to the interview with Dougie Mandagi from Temper Trap. And you both speak about being Asian and Asian lives matter and how Asians are the brunt of jokes in movies. And you're a Malay Australian and Dougie is Indonesian. Have you hit what I would call, I'm going to call it the Asian ceiling in women's perspective, it's called the glass ceiling in the music industry in Australia and overseas? I don't know, like, because I feel like I was probably like on on like the fresh wave like i feel like if i was born a little bit earlier like if i was born in the 70s or something bit of a different world but it's like i'm actually in a place now where i get hit up all the time for like modeling things and like represent like just to be represented like with brands and stuff festivals need to have women represented they need to have people of color represented and so in some ways it's kind of a good time (laughs) especially being cross-cultural in some ways Um, but yeah like I think that especially growing up what was really difficult is that I never saw Asians represented in music like there was Regurgitator there was um the hard-ons you saw Lucy Liu like it was so like just it's hard to even name Asian celebrities unless they're in like kung fu movies and so when I saw Dougie when I was in my first year of uni and Sweet Disposition w- went number one and took over the world. And I was like, that guy's full Asian and he sing- he's got this huge voice. What the hell is going on? Like, I was actually blown away. And it actually, because you can't, you can't beat if you don't see it. And I remember thinking to myself, oh, wow, like, things are changing. Like, this is cool. And so I think it really kind of subconsciously kind of sowed a seed of like, oh, I think things are kind of changing, you know, and because uh, I experienced a bit of racist treatment growing up and I was kind of conditioned to kind of always, you know, if I'm going to have a girlfriend and be cool, I'm going to be with someone who's blonde because that's what movies told me. Um, <laughs> Don't I know it? Know, I'm a brunette. <laughs> yeah, for sure. And the whole fetishization of Asian women in pornography and different things and it's kind of like I feel like we're in a dawn of a new era though and I think – I think Asian people are having a voice and even the protest that happened last year about um, Asian lives and it's, it's balancing, you know, and um, cause yeah, I, I'm, I, as an Asian man, have been tired of being, Asians being seen as a joke, like the end of every joke in the entertainment industry. And, um, and I think that now we're coming into a time where people's understanding of culture is, is really kind of, it's a thing. It's like if if you're if you're a man living in Bone and you know a lot of it about different cultures and and you've embraced different cultures and you understand different languages, like it's a beautiful thing, you know. Um, and so, yeah, I'm 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 so proud of my culture and I feel like I take my Malaysian love with me wherever I go. <laughs> yeah, I love it. Let's um talk about your uh, lockdown because you've been very busy in this lockdown and releasing um, lots of music as well as producing because you do produce um, as well but your latest release is California which has very much got your dreamy vocals going with your colorful layers of beats and sounds but and you've but you've got lyrics it's quite deceiving this the music is very light and then you go into your lyrics where it says things like scared to be alone with a life so possible so what does yeah. California represent to you 
Yeah, so I think for me, California is kind of surfacing all those things that I felt. Like I was once engaged to a girl from California and the song's about her. Um, and I went through the most traumatic kind of thing of calling off a wedding three months before it happened. And But we ended up getting back together um, like eight months later and we were together for another six months. And then she kind of called it again that she wanted to break up with me a second time. And so California is really talking about that of like my own attachment and my fear of being alone um, and me feeling like my ex wasn't being completely honest to me about her commitment towards me. And so kind of just really kind of voicing all the things that I actually felt, all that frenetic kind of energy, all that, you know, daddy issues, abandonment stuff, it's all coming up. But then that's also mingled with, and the chorus feels so positive because it's really kind of, surrendering to what is like it's really about surrender saying california on her mind summer in her eyes it's like my ex always felt called to go back to california and she felt intuitively like that we were meant to be together forever you know like we're not to ever to be together again and and because of that i have a great life in byron and my <laughs> life moves on and it's kind of like I've never wanted to have songs that are so about resentment and like, this is what you did to me. Like, I'm just not that kind of guy. And I, I didn't want to, you know, send out that vibration. Like I really am so grateful for all that I learned. And my ex was like an angel to teach, to teach me things. And so I think California, the song is really like a culmination and a letting go and like an embracing of a chapter and a letting go of a chapter. You were 